yeah, outgoing people that have busy social lives that sometimes are really, really positive and happy people also experience loneliness and also sometimes are super alone and also are home on a Saturday doing nothing and would love to get a text message from someone. Hey everyone, today, an episode with Adam Smiley Poswalski, author, speaker, millennial workplace expert, and also a new friend of mine, which is really exciting. And he just wrote the book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, an Optimist's Guide to Connection. And we're talking about how to make friends, basically. We're talking about the effects of loneliness, how to combat loneliness, how to start making friends as an adult, which um, I'm going to have to start doing soon because I've moved from Montreal to question mark. I don't actually know where I'm moving to, but when I do figure that out, I'm going to have to make new friends. So this episode is particularly relevant to what's going on for me. And also, especially with the pandemic, loneliness is an issue. Um, it's, It's not easy to make friends. Uh, It's been compounded by the fact that we're all having to be socially distanced and um, it's harder to meet people. So that's what we're exploring today. We're exploring friendship, loneliness, connection, and I'm really, really, really excited and happy to be sharing this episode with you. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Adam, will you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Adam Smiley Pozwalski. I am an author, speaker, millennial workplace expert. I write and speak about engaging the next generation of talent and fostering belonging and human connection in the workplace. And I just wrote a book called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness, all about how to build human connection and spend more time with your friends in the digital world that we live in today, especially in a pandemic. I love the title of Millennial Expert. <laughs> yes. The, the title is kind of made up, but it is a thing. It is very much a thing. Uh, millennial Workplace Expert is a thing. Millennial Expert is a thing, and Millennial Workplace Expert is a thing. Is there a course on that, <laughs> or are you just... No, and not at all. Yeah, and it's not something you can go to school for. It's not something you can get a PhD in Harvard in, although people do get study generations, but it's something I just started doing and researching and writing about and uh, turned it into a business. So the the, the moral of that story is if you care about something and you know what you're talking about, call yourself an expert before other people do, because um, I think that the difference between people that kind of create something in the world is they just go for it sometimes and and make it happen rather than waiting for kind of that permission slip or certificate from a place that's never going to give it to you. Well, your uh, landing page for your book has inspired my, well, I inspired Jillian Richardson's landing page for her speaking. And then also, which in turn has inspired my landing page for my, the speaking portion of my website. And now it says something like uh, coach, speaker, love expert. So thank you for that. Right. That's one of my big things is call yourself a speaker. 
I so many people I, I talk to that are wannabe speakers or up and coming speakers or do speak. I'm like, I go to your website and the word speaker isn't on your website. And they're like, well, I speak. And I'm like, well, no one can find that. How do you know? Or it's hidden. You know, it's it's like work with me, coaching, facilitation, consulting, books, podcasts, and then way at the bottom of the page, it's speaking. And I say, well, isn't that the thing that people would give you the most money of all of those to do? And people are like, yeah. I'm like, well, why isn't it big on the main page? I speak, book me to speak. So that's my big uh, big lesson for speakers. I, I mean, I, I know speakers that have been speaking for two, three, even five years that don't have a speaking tab on their website, which is, is my big pet peeve. <laughs> if you've spoken, you're a speaker. Call yourself a speaker, right? No one is going, <laughs> you're never going to become a, a, a public speaking expert, right? You're never going to become a speaker expert. No one's going to say, okay, you finally have been to enough Toastmasters. You've finally done enough Instagram lives. You've finally been on stage enough. You know, you've done it enough. Like finally you get the certification. We're sending you something in the mail. Now you can charge money for it. It's like, you just have to start doing it. We could do a whole episode on speaking, but that's not what this episode is about. But everybody, um, Adam is a speaking expert. That's clearly been, um, you know, identified. So let's, let's switch to the book. Um, why this book? Why now? And then also just give us the title again. Yeah. So the book is called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. So it's very relevant to the moment that we're living in coming out of this pandemic. But I actually started writing it in 2017. Uh, I had just experienced the loss of one of my best friends, a 32-year-old friend named Levi Felix, who had started a summer camp for adults called Camp Grounded, which is a tech-free digital detox experience uh, where people gather in the Redwoods to spend four days offline, off their devices. And I had this experience of being really close friends with somebody who started a community all around authentic connection and play and uh, creating really meaningful transformation uh, in real life with people. Uh, and people would have these amazing experiences at Camp Grounded where they would decide that, oh, I want to quit this job that I've been hating forever. I want to get out of this bad partnership that's not satisfying me. I want to continue living even though I've been having, you know, really dark thoughts. I want to, you know, really reimagine my life all from the experience of spending four days not looking at their phone. Uh, and it was really transformational. And Levi had um, kind of built a movement all around in-person connection and IRL, IRL connection and disconnection uh, to reconnect. That was the motto of camp, disconnect to reconnect. So I started writing this project after actually Levi passed away in 2017, wanting to kind of capture some of the lessons of Camp Grounded, capture the magic that happened at camp and how we can bring that back into our own lives. And I really kind of continued writing as I was experiencing loneliness. Uh, loneliness, you know, as, as many of you know, is an epidemic. It was an epidemic before a year of social isolation. Nearly two thirds of Americans are lonely, including 70% of millennials and 80% of Gen Z. Um, chronic loneliness is said to be as deadly for our physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, it's deemed a public health crisis. Even the UK has a minister for loneliness. Uh, and it's even on the rise, obviously, in the pandemic. So these are key issues. And, you know, I wanted to, I kept writing kind of about my own struggle with loneliness as someone that has a lot of friends, has a lot of social connections, is a very social guy. I mean, my name is Smiley, <laughs> but I'm experiencing loneliness and I'm going through this. And I knew that if I was having these, these, these feelings, then other people definitely were too. 
It's uh, it's interesting you bring up Levi because I remember going to one of the very first digital detox events in San Francisco that was sort of leading up to the very first Camp Grounded. And the event was basically, you know, in some cool converted warehouse space in San Francisco and you showed up and you had to check your phone at the door, yep. uh, which I thought was amazing. And then inside the space was all these sort of activities that you could do that fostered connection. There was like a a write a poem with a typewriter station. Yep. There was like an arts and crafts station. There was, uh, you know, a bunch of weird questions that you can ask a stranger station and then a whole bunch of other things. I don't exactly quite remember all of them, um, but it was a really beautiful event and it was a really beautiful opportunity to connect with people and to, you sort of had to like force yourself to talk to people cause you couldn't just fall back on your phone. Exactly. Which is what we do all the time. You know, I went and got a sandwich today and while waiting for the sandwich, there was three people and we all had our heads down. We were all kind of scrolling, waiting for our, our turn. And this is the default. That's the default. Yeah. And it's so simple. Like there were some, you know, so that was a, probably a device free drinks event that um, digital detox and camp used to throw, but the, the kind of five rules, the main rules at camp um, were very simple. It was, you know, so no technology, no talking about work. So no W talk as we called it. No, what do you do? So you're not defined kind of by your LinkedIn bio or your job or where you work. Um, no talking about age. So no, how old are you? Uh, and no real names. So, you know, you're not Adam Pazwalski or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or whoever. Uh, you are Cookie Surprise or Rainbow Sprinkles or Bricky St. James or Chocolate Moose or whatever you want to be, right? Maybe you have a nickname from camp as a kid or a nickname all your friends call you or you we have nick professional nicknamers that give you a name at camp. Um, and it's they're simple, simple um, rules and expectations. But what happens is they really transform people because they allow you to channel that inner child and kind of come back to a time in life when the entire point of life was to connect, right? If you remember being a kid, you know, when you go to recess, like the only thing on your mind is I'm going to go connect with all of these people. I'm just going to run around and do things, or I'm just going to sit by myself and connect with myself and connect with this tree. And that's perfectly okay. You're, per you have permission to do that. And as adult, an adult, we really, we rarely have those opportunities. You almost have to go to an event that is a connection event. And those are hard to find. You know, they're, they're, some of them happen in kind of the dating world, but it's actually pretty hard to find those of, I'm just going to look, I'm going to find a, an event where people are supposed to connect platonically and just meet new people and connect. Instead, we go to places where everyone has their head in a phone or the purpose of connection is networking. And what do you do? Where do you work? Can you help me? Right. But to go to an, an event that's designed to facilitate authentic connection that's designed to be for people to kind of get outside their comfort zone, to ask really vulnerable questions, to listen, to try something new, right? Maybe you've never typed on a typewriter before, never written a poem before, never done improv before. Um, that those are they're such simple switches, but they are transformational in, in their power and they really lead to big breakthroughs. And that's, you know, kind of what the magic and legacy of camp was all about. Yeah, these are these events exist. They're just harder to find, and also they take uh, an incredible amount of courage to go yes. to. Like I remember taking an improv class, you know, and it was like over several months, and it was incredibly scary <laughs> and 
super awkward to learn improv. And I'm still friends with some of the people that I met during that time. Yeah. You know, and some of them had helped me with my projects. Some of them, we did stand up together. You know, like we, I still have a connection with these people that I never would have met if I didn't decide to do improv. And then there's, you know, other events that I took, took part in, like in Montreal, like, um, cuddle parties or authentic relating where you, where the goal is, like you said, to have, you know, ask each other vulnerable questions, vulnerable and intimate questions. And these events happen, but they, they're often in like larger metropolitan areas. And of course, they're, they've been put on hold now during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of courage to show up to these things because you have to open up. Yeah, the whole point of it is to open up and the point of it is to kind of get outside your comfort zone, which is hard. I mean, that's the one of the things that's really tough about loneliness and social isolation is they can kind of become these loops, right? If you're socially isolated, the thing that's going to cure you from your isolation is likely not being socially isolated and meeting new people, but that might be the thing that can be quite difficult to achieve uh, and quite difficult to do. So it's it, it, it requires kind of going outside your comfort zone, that courage you were talking about, um, and also kind of realizing that there's not this right answer. I think a lot of times in life we're primed and especially in a kind of a success, success driven society is like, what's the right answer? What am I supposed to do in these spaces? Like what's a, what's the win? What's the goal? What am I seeking? You know, maybe it's someone signs up for my website or someone follows me on Instagram or invests in my company, right? Or I get a new fan, but there's really not, the whole point of these situations is to not have those goals or metrics and more just to be in the space with people and see what happens. And that's hard for the average adult that has grown up in kind of an achievement-based society. We have to kind of unwork what we've been taught. It's it's interesting you you bring up like, you know, people wanting to know like what what the win is. I get this question often on my Instagram. Something happens and they go, How am I supposed to feel? Mm. Which is like I both really strange and also I understand it, right? Like people want to know right. what's the right thing to do here. Like, sh should I be upset that my boyfriend cheated on me? And I never answer those questions because to me, it's like, it doesn't really matter how you're supposed to feel. What it really matters is like, how do you feel? Right. Right. Some people might not care like, oh, my boyfriend cheated on me, but like, whatever, that's not important to me. And, and that is super important. That would be very important to me, but it might not be for somebody else based on where they are in life. And so what's more important is like, how do you feel? Right. Like, how does this make you feel? And this kind of leads me to believe that like, we don't trust ourselves. Mm. We don't trust that we can like deal with disappointing situations, that we can express our anger and our, and our loneliness and our sadness in an appropriate way. And right. we're looking for answers outside of ourselves. Right. When, when really like, the answer comes from within. And as I'm saying this, I go like, gosh, that is, you know, it's taken me years of therapy to actually believe that and like operate from that perspective of like, I don't ask people how I should feel. I just feel what I feel and I kind of deal with it. And this is somehow connected to loneliness. I'm not exactly sure, but that kind of like popped up in my brain when you asked or, or mentioned people, you know, looking for the right answer. Right. Loneliness or loneliness, you know, the, the answer to loneliness. And, and I think it, what, what it brings up for me is kind of if you look at what, what the kind of scientific definition of, of loneliness is, 
is it's the subjective gap, the perception of isolation. So that's the discrepancy between one's desired level of connection and one's actual level of connection. Uh. So it's that gap. So for me, what's coming up when you're saying that is exactly right, is being okay with the feeling of loneliness. I mean, part of this book is is kind of exploring that a little bit. There's a top a chapter where I talk about you know, have tea with strangers. And I talk about um, my friend Ankit who started this whole movement around having tea with strangers. And now he's focused on helping uh, have tea alone, have helping people spend more good alone time where you're okay with being alone. Because if you're okay with being alone, that gap is not going to be as high. And I think that one of the reasons why there is such a kind of uh, a rise in loneliness levels today, especially among young people, is that folks are spending so much time on social media kind of comparing themselves to what's going on outside, right? And saying, oh, well, I'm here looking at this stupid phone on Friday night, but everyone else <laughs> is out there having this amazing life all connected. They didn't invite me to hang out on Friday night or Saturday night. What? Why wasn't I there? Look at all this fun that they're having, even though the photo was from six years ago or whatever. But it's still the <laughs> perception is... I'm, I'm alone. I'm lonely. My life sucks. Look at how great and how beautiful everyone else is. It's that gap. Whereas if we just are like, Hey, what's coming up for me right now? Okay, cool. Like I, I these are feelings, you know, I want to explore these feelings. I feel comfortable in my feelings. I honor my feelings. Maybe that gap is a little bit different. You brought up a couple of things that are really, really important. One of them is, you know, I never show people on social media when I'm depressed or sad right. or angry or like feeling blah, right? And, and part of that is me protecting myself because I don't want messages from people asking me how I'm like strangers offering support. And that's not to say that some people don't want that. I don't want that. Like I am fully supported by my community and my therapist and my family that I don't need that. And so I don't show that. And also for me, you know, it's like a business decision not to show that. But for most people, they only, they show you the most curated best parts of their lives. And so of course, when we're swiping and feeling crappy and scrolling and only seeing the positive of people's lives, it's going to be really hard. And we're going to compare feeling, you know, depressed and lonely on the couch to someone's exciting, you know, beautiful dinner party or glamping retreat or whatever is super hot and exciting these days. So that's, that's one thing to keep in mind, right? Is that people aren't showing you what's really going on on social media. Um, the second thing is I have had moments in my life, specifically when I moved to Montreal, um, where I was feeling lonely and I was okay being alone. Uh, I think having a dog really helps. Mm. But after a while, even a pet can't really provide you with the connection that other humans can. Um, actually, a pet can't do that at all, but it, but it can sort of distract you and keep you company a little bit. And I found myself feeling lonely and I reached out to a few friends and I said, hey, um, this is really hard for me to admit, but um, I've been feeling pretty lonely these days. And if you're ever doing something fun, like I invite you to invite me, mm. right? Please, please invite me to things because I like hanging out with you. And I'm also not great at like getting people together, but I love being part of an activity. And 
a few people said, oh, wow, that is so surprising. Yes. I just thought that you were really busy and that you had a full social calendar. And I, that's why I never invited you to anything because I just assumed you didn't need that. Because everything looks great on social media. <laughs> because everything looks great on social media. And because I'm like an outgoing, right. gregarious, yes. extroverted person. And I would spend most weekends alone. Right. And so I had to ask people. Right. And, and they didn't know. Right. So like people don't know what's going on unless you tell them and it was vulnerable. And then eventually they started asking me to do things and then I could either say yes or no based on how I was feeling. Yeah. And you have to kind of put yourself out there. I think that's a big thing. I, we assume, I mean, I, I talk about this experience as well of people kind of coming up to me, you know, uh, and, and they say, smiley, your life is dope without even asking how I am. Smiley, your your life is dope. You're killing it, you know. And I do believe that my life is dope. I love my life, <laughs> um, and I would say that seventy eight percent of the time I don't feel that way, <laughs> right? right. Um, and I've learned to, as a public figure, kind of you know, I I don't need people to kind of say how are you feeling, how are you doing. You know, I have a therapist. I can explore those emotions with others, and and a, and a wonderful partner that I can talk to about that stuff. But it's interesting that yeah outgoing people that have busy social lives that sometimes are really, really positive and happy people and are very connected and live a full social life also experience loneliness and also sometimes are super alone and also are home on a Saturday doing nothing and would love to get a text message from someone reaching out to them or inviting them to an event. Um, I think all of us, I think one of the general conclusions of this project is, you know, stay in touch more with people and reach out reach out to everyone, <laughs> reach out to people and let them know how you feel about them. Let them know that you miss them. You know, our mutual friend, Jillian Richardson, uh, shared in the book, you know, one of her simple friendship rituals of notes of being awesome. When someone pops into her head, that's awesome. She just simply sends them a note that you're awesome right then and there, right? Not going to wait till next Thursday when you're going to forget or your, you know, once a year holiday card situation. No, right now, right, right now, just wanted to send you a note you're awesome. You popped into my head because of this and this. I wanted to send some love. I guarantee you it's going to be met with, um, with gratitude and, and, and admiration. And it's going to foster a deeper relationship. It's so simple, but we don't tell people enough in our life that we care about, that we care about them. So I have received many of those from Jillian. I mean, Jillian and I speak nearly on a daily basis. Um, and it feels so good. And that is also one of the principles of, of Burning Man, one of the 11 yep. principles of Burning Man, which is immediacy, which is beautiful. You know, like if you want something and you have an opportunity to, to get it now or to ask for it now or to tell somebody how you feel now, just do it now. And you're right. I'll totally forget. I'll totally forget if I don't do it. Um, this is a great segue to pick up the phone and call, which is one of your uh, chapters. And I'll out myself as a phone caller. And Same. I am someone who calls people all the time just, just to talk. And um, this is probably more common for, I, I think this is more common for older folks, right? So I'm 38 and I think people that are younger than me, like don't, aren't as comfortable talking on the phone. Um, I'm 37. And? and? I, oh, I love the phone. Phone is my thing. Well, 100%. 38, 38, 37. That we're we're, we're in the same generation. Um, so 
there's this thing that happens though, if you're a phone caller, that um, not as many people are as comfortable talking on the phone. And also not as many people are going to initiate phone calls. So if you're a phone caller, which I am, I make the phone calls most of the time. And sometimes I have relationships where I'm the only one making the phone calls. And sometimes they answer, sometimes they don't, but they don't call me. And I've had situations where at, at first I was like, hey, I, I really wish they would call me more. And then I just realized, oh no, I'm a phone caller. So that's my responsibility. If I want to talk to someone on the phone, I'll call them. And they answer if they can, and they, they don't if they can't. And that's okay with me. I don't take it personally. I just keep calling people until someone answers and then we can talk. Yeah. And I, I think not keeping tabs on who's calling who for me is really important. Um, if I'm calling too much, I hope that my friends will let me know. Basically, this is just a long-winded way of saying that I love calling people. And I think, you know, you have, that's one of your correspondence rituals and that's enough. I think one, one thing that, you know, in my, when I was talking to all these people, I think people feel overwhelmed by all of these things and you don't have to be good at all of them. Very few people are good at phone calls and letter writing and video messages and Snapchat and, you know, live events and sending gifts and all of these things, right? It's, you know, it's, it's kind of like love languages, you know, find whatever, you know what yours is and rock that, right? And, and you can be being a good phone caller and spend and calling your close friends and, and even people that you don't speak to often on a regular basis is great. That's great. That's a beautiful thing. And that's kind of like know what your lane is and know your own medium. And then also be grateful and respect other friends that don't share the same medium, but have their own, right? Because I, I, you know, I'm similar to you. I love the phone call. Um, it, that and letter writing are my thing, but I'm not really good at gifts. I, I miss birthdays all the time. I even weddings come by. I don't really, I, you know, I'll send a, a congratulations, maybe a card, but I'm not good with the cold wedding gift. I'm not good with the birthday gifts. I'm, you know, I'm more like, hey, I showed up. I'm your, it's your birthday, quality time. <laughs> but some people are so good with gifts. And I kind of just accept, hey, like, you know, that's, that's their thing. But I call them seven times, you know, a month or, you know, whatever it is. That's, that's my gift. So, and kind of understanding that people have different strengths when it comes to, you know, how they're going to reach out and that's how they express their love and that's okay. Um, when you said when you said gifts, I thought you meant gifts. Oh, gifts! You know, gifts, gifts. Yeah, <laughs> some, people, like, are, oh, you some people are really into gifts too. Gifts. Well, but but <laughs> yeah, me. like well, Jillian loves gifts, right. so um, <laughs> and that's funny. I'm also not a very uh, like I'm not a gifting kind of person. I like receiving them. I don't like I enjoy receiving them. I, I certainly don't expect it from really anybody, even on my birthday. Right. Um, and I'm not a great gift giver. Like, it's just not something that I like to do. Um, I like voice memos. I like phone calls. I like FaceTimes. I like video messages. And um, I just really love the suggestion of like, do what is good for you. Yes. And also, I guess if if you're not used to doing any of this stuff, I guess we're sort of encouraging you to do, to try some of it. Yes, I am kind of saying, push yourself to find a medium. Because that's not really an acceptable. I mean, if if you're into friendship, if you want to go deeper with people, if you want to put friendship more at the center of your life, which I think is a really important thing for a variety of reasons, mainly your health, your happiness, your longevity, 
um, showing up in the world fully, it is super important. So it's not an excuse to say I'm too busy to do any of these. I think that that's actually maybe part of the problem. A lot of people are like, well, I can't do that. I'm too busy or I don't like that. Well, find something that you do like that you do want to make time for that you do enjoy that you do like. Um, you know, I have a friend that I write about in the book, Sahar. He has this, uh, he has a friendship business card. So instead of a business card, uh, sorry, it's a friendship card. It's not a business card. It's just a friendship card. So instead of a business <laughs> card, he has a friendship card. It says his name, his phone number on the back. It says, let's be friends. And so whenever he meets someone cool, and obviously this is hard to do IRL this moment right now in the pandemic, but normally when he meets someone cool, he just gives them his card. He doesn't have to reach out because he's given them the card. So if they also think it was a fun meeting and they want to hang out sometime, they have to take the initiative. And then he always has a monthly potluck. Again, this is kind of in a pre or post COVID context where he invites everyone that he's met in the previous month to the potluck. And he also invites his other friends and other cool people so they can come to the monthly potluck too. And maybe they become friends with new people. So it's super, super easy for him because he loves kind of hosting. He doesn't have to think about it. It's always on the calendar. When he meets cool people, instead of like, oh, let me get your number. Uh, what should we do? Face Like, what are we doing here? You know, he's just like, here's my card. You know, let's be friends. And if they reach out, he invites them to the potluck and maybe, you know, the relationship gets a little deeper. It's, it, it's you know, the kind of like this always go on a second date philosophy, right? Assuming, assuming the person, you know, isn't a psycho or doesn't really bug you or you don't even want to sit in their company. Go on a second date. Go on a third date, right? See how see see if there's something there. Um, you always keep that momentum going, and and you know that consistency and that you know repetition it leads to closeness, right? That's kind of there's a psychological principle, the mere exposure effect. The more so- time you spend with someone, the more you see them, the more likely you are to like them. So unless you don't like them, in which case you're just not going to see them again. Yeah, if you don't like them, you're not going to see them again. That's it. <laughs> I think I might have been invited to one of Sahar's. <laughs> I think I might have even shown no, up. No, Sahar. At, I think so. <laughs> I mean, you know, I haven't been in San Francisco for a long time. Th- this person lives in San Francisco, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, um, you know, I was there for ten years, or did for many years. I think he's he's not here anymore. Yeah, I think I think Sahar really rings a bell, and I think a potluck or some soup, maybe if there's soup involved, <laughs> sounds uh, like there'd be I, soup involved. Yeah, most definitely. So this kind of brings me to this uh, kind of question, <laughs> which is, uh, how can adults make adult friends? Mm. Right. I mean, I, I think it's more challenging for adults to make adult friends than, say, children or teens. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what's a good first step other than like inviting people to a monthly potluck um, to start making adult friendships? Yeah, I mean, I think we touched, you know, you mentioned this early, but I think the word that comes to mind is courage. Um, trying new things, especially, you know, for someone that uh, maybe is more introverted or maybe does, isn't going out as much or has, has trouble meeting new people. I think that going to more events, um, even virtual events, uh, when you see something interesting, when you see something that is happening that, you know, reflects something that you're interested in, go to it, sign up for it and make a commitment to do it, especially if it's something that's going to be happening over a period of time. So instead of a one-off event, more like a book club or a language class, or, uh, you know, an accountability group for writing a book or learning, a, taking a course or something like that, because you're already then baking in four or five, six, 10 different classes or 
meetups over the course of a couple months, um, trying new things, asking better questions, you know, asking, you know, going a little bit deeper than what, where do you live? What do you do? Um, because, you know, more likely that's going to lead to curiosity. It's going to lead to vulnerability. It's going to lead to probably having a deeper connection and thus hopefully friendship with the people that you talk to. Um, I think ritual is a big piece again for adults. You know, we're all busy. Everyone's doing a lot of things, balancing a lot of different responsibilities. So to develop rituals is important so that these things become something that's always on the calendar, right? Whether it's a monthly uh, dinner date with a girlfriend, whether it's a, you know, a adventure weekend, a men's group, a women's circle, a person's circle. Um, I had friends in DC that started a Monday night activity club, which was people getting together on Monday nights just to do whatever random activity someone in the group proposed. And anyone was welcome to come and anyone was welcome to propose an activity. Very simple yet Monday night, there's always something to do if you want. Um, yes, I, I, the ritual piece I think is key. Um, the other thing I, I think is, you know, stepping up in your community and just finding things that are happening in your local community. Again, this is a little bit more of a challenge in the current climate we're living in, although I think it's still very much doable, but volunteering, um, becoming a good neighbor, introducing yourself to your neighbors, talking to people that kind of work at the lo local grocery store, local coffee shop, um, all of the things are going to plug you into what's happening around you and the people around you, which is where likely you are to develop friendships as an adult, because that's where you're spending the majority of your time. Um, you know, there's some other kind of more advanced things that I think, you know, living in community, uh, if you're right. someone that's looking for new friends, and, and that doesn't have to mean living in a group house of 10 or 15 or 20 people, but it could just mean living with a couple of roommates or four or five people. If you're really trying to make new friends as an adult, because then you're going to have four different people that are bringing over, you know, their friends or their partners, and you know, you're going to meet those people and, and or hear about what they're doing on Friday night or Saturday night or over the summer. So you're just going to have more exposure to interesting activities. Yeah, these are all fantastic solutions. Uh, and I've, I think I've, I've used a lot of these. Um, m very recently, I, I moved into a rented a room in um, a house with six people for the winter. Um, that was sort of outside of Montreal and had was closer to skiing and climbing and and um, it was really cool because those people had friends and then um, it's a really great way to sort of enlarge your friend circle if if you connect with you know your roommate's friends which you may or may not do and yeah, I have a list here of things that I kind of want to go through real quick so I like that you mentioned doing more than one off events. I I, re I recommend people to do this also when they're looking for someone to date. Mm. You know, go to events, but but make it like a six dinner cooking course yes. so that you can see the same people over and over and over again. Or like you said, the ritual thing, right? It, maybe it's a monthly event where there's new people always cycling in and out of that community. Yeah. Right. So you get to know sort of the core members, but then there's like new folks that kind of come in and out. And like you said, it's harder in this climate, but I think it's going it, to, it will come back. And, um, and it is possible to do it online. When you said ask better questions, my favorite question to ask people is what's exciting in your world? Great question. Instead of how are you doing? Generally, like people will say fine, 
when you ask them how they're doing. And then you're back to square one, which is having to come up with another question. Uh, because people, you know, like I don't really feel safe telling people how I'm really doing. Especially because someone I you just met. Yeah, like like you said, dude, 80% of the time, I, I think I'm going to out myself here by saying that like 80% of the time, like I'm not happy-go-lucky. Like I'm a very happy, it's funny, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. I'm very positive. I have like a pleasing disposition and a sunny disposition towards life. But like most of the time, like I'm kind of blah and whatever and in my head and I'm, you know, like I'm just not super, super happy. And I'm also not willing to share all of that especially to a complete stranger. So people will just say, fine. And I prefer to ask people what's exciting in their world if, if I want to generate conversation. There are times when I don't want to generate conversation because I have my hood up and I'm feeling uh, depressed. And I just say, how are you doing? They'll say, fine. I'll say, fine. And then we'll move on with the, whatever the transaction is. So what's exciting in your world will get people talking about something that's, that's exciting in their world. And then that will usually kind of amp up their energy and then it gives you plenty of ammo and you can pick you know like oh cool you're going to mexico like which part of mexico or have you ever been to mexico before or, like what's your favorite what are you most looking forward about going to mexico and it's so easy to generate conversation when someone's excited about something yes um so that's another thing that i really loved um and i just want to share this uh uh, I want to share how I developed a new friendship with this guy named Phil in Montreal. And it's actually really sad because I, I don't live in Montreal anymore. And I'm recording this podcast from uh, this uh, beautiful basement suite at my brother's house in Boulder, Colorado. But Phil was a neighbor and uh, he had a dog and I had a dog and, and we would walk our dogs in the alley around the same time. <laughs> and we would just, we like, you know, Dog owners don't always get... Just because you have a dog and I have a dog doesn't mean I'm going to like you. But Phil and I had enough in common, right? We had like skateboarding in common, skiing and snowboarding in common, biking. Um, and we had the same kind of sense of humor. And we just kept on seeing each other over and over and over again in the alley. And then eventually I said, hey, man, I'm thinking about getting some backcountry skis. And... Uh, I'm really excited about that. And he, and he goes, oh, are you serious? Maybe I'll get some backcountry skis. <laughs> and I said, oh, dude, you should totally get backcountry skis and then we'll go together. Right. And I was a little scared. You know, like, is this guy actually going to really want to go skiing with me? Like, is he just saying that to make me feel better? And he was like, dude, if you're getting skis, I'm getting skis. We both got skis and then we started skiing together. So um, we, we found a point of connection and then we continued it with an activity. So we like transitioned our friendship from the alley, which is where it was like our whole friendship was around that alley. Mm. And it was actually kind of hard to get it out of the alley. <laughs> and so we transitioned from the alley to the mountains and then we had coffee and then we had dinner and then he invited me to his place and I invited him to my place. So we started like basically growing our friendship geographically and it made it a lot more solid and it it was this took like a year. Yeah. This is like a long process. But that's how I was able to make like a new adult friendship. It takes time and you you started slow. I think that's the other thing is that, you know, you have to build that trust over time. You can't just jump in, you know, and be like, we walk our dogs in the alley like, together. Let's be best friends. Like, whoa, who is, to, I don't know who you are, right? You kind of slowly build up and over time you establish that trust and points, of, you know, common interests. 
Shasta Nelson, who's a friendship expert, says that friendships need three things to, to thrive. Positivity. So to feel satisfied, you need positivity. To feel safe, you need to practice consistency. And to feel seen, you need to practice vulnerability. So it strikes me that kind of there was all those elements were present in, in that. Um, or at least the positivity of you both kind of saying, I'm into ski, I'm into backcountry skiing, I'm into, you know, like you're, you were open to it and excited about it, which I think is important. It's really hard to kind of go deeper in making friends when you're not excited about it. This feels also just like how people feel safe and satisfied um, in r romantic relationships. Definitely. Positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Yep. And friendships are no different other than the fact that you don't have like romantic feelings towards the other person. And sometimes that might develop, but for the most part, platonic friendships are, de are devoid of romantic energy. And so no wonder it's hard to make friends because it's just as hard as uh, to, to form like a long lasting, fulfilling and satisfying relationship. Right. And you might have similar, you know, there, there might be similar troubles and conflicts that arise when it comes to communication and, you know, breach of trust that happen in romantic relationships as well. So it's, you know, and keeping a friendship over many years is really, really hard, just like a part, just like a romantic partnership. Right. And sometimes, you know, those, those friendships will, they're not meant to be forever. Yeah. Which is really hard to admit that sometimes you will outgrow your friends or they will outgrow you, or you will just kind of move in different spaces and go a different path. And that's also normal. And that people might come in and out, right? There might be kind of a quiet season or a pause for a friendship or, you know, if, if you, you move away from, from a place where you spend some, a lot of time with someone specific and you don't really talk for a while, but then maybe you move back or maybe somehow you end up in the same place together or start talking more. And maybe a few years later, you're back where you were or even closer friends. And that's also okay. You know, these things kind of ebb and flow. Um, and they don't kind of, there's not one, one mold that all friendships fit. And I think that that's okay. And that's what makes friendships so beautiful. And there's those friends where you don't see them for five years. And then when you do, it's like not like no time has passed. It's perfect. It's beautiful. I love that. I love those. Um, I, I, I was really excited about this conversation because I am going to be having to make new friends. Mm. Right. Like I'm looking for my next home and I don't know where that is yet. And um, it's probably going to be in the Rocky Mountain West. And so I uprooted myself completely from Montreal where I had built like a really beautiful community of friends. And also I want to say that like throughout the five years that I was in Montreal, I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it sound nice. Um, at the very least, it'll be authentic. I, over the five years, like upgraded my friends. Hmm. Right. Like I met some people and it was a good connection that it wasn't like, it was like, you know, better than being alone, but maybe not like the most aligned friendship. And then I would meet a different friend circle and then a different friend circle and sort of like pick and choose people. But over the time, I feel like sort of like relationships, our future relationship should be better than our past relationship. Mm -hmm. um, sort of like your next job should be kind of better than your last job, right? If you want to grow. Right. Um, and if you're like, that's, if you're into growth um, and some people aren't, that's totally fine. But uh, I found that to be something that happened as I made friends um, 
the quality of those of my friendships would grow. And that means that some of those people that I met early on, I just didn't hang out with them anymore because they weren't as aligned as some of the people that I met later on. And so I just want to name that that's, that's a thing that might happen as you like uproot yourself and start building new friendships. Yeah. And as you get closer and knowing more about yourself or, you know, you're changing too. So, you know, you want to have friendships that reflect where you're at. Yeah. Thanks. That's helpful. I, <laughs> it's helpful to remember that I'm also growing and that I'm not just like a opportunity, opportunistic friend person that's constantly trying to upgrade my friend circles, but that, um, I'm also growing and, and it would make sense to reflect that the, the friendships would reflect that as well. I, I think I, in the recent years have had, uh, this book has helped me kind of be open to making new friends myself. Cause I think that there was a little bit of a you get to a point where you're like, I'm good. Or like, I think I have enough close friends or, you know, I have enough people that know all my shit or, you know, know, know the stories, know the jokes. And I'm kind of full, you know, like you're not hiring, like the, 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 the you know, the, the roster is full, so to speak. But then I've had this experience in the last year of making new friends um, in the pandemic through mostly through my partner and, and kind of our relationship and our friendship and, meeting her friends. And that's a beautiful thing too, because that's a whole other dynamic and a whole other level. And it's like, it's almost like unlocking something that you didn't even know existed. I was like, I think I'm, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I kind of know who my friends are. And now I have like these new friends. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, what a beautiful thing. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's just be clear here that her friends, okay. So your partner <laughs> are your friends. Your, uh, yeah, her, your partner is one of my very, very, very good friends and has been for a long, long, long time. And, uh, we belong in the same friend circle. Yes. And those friends are people that I talk to on a regular basis and, and are, are my really, really, really close friends. And either regardless of how full your roster is, those people are totally worth opening up the <laughs> roster and letting in it's to it's not even to all of your call. story. It's <laughs> although that that's interesting because you know the way I feel about my friends, uh, which are now your new friends, <laughs> is probably how a lot of people feel about their friends. And for the most part, you know, if you're a good person, you probably have good friends, right? So, some good friends, and of course, we're talking about loneliness and building friendships. And so, just because you're a good person, just because you don't have any friends or you don't have a lot of friends, doesn't mean you're not a good person. But there are people with great friend groups and it could totally be life-changing to meet a friend group, right? Like being able to have access to a solid friend group of like six to eight people that do things all the time and being folded into that is like a massive gift, yeah. especially if you're kind of like new in town or um, are struggling to make friends. So regardless of how many friends you have, Sometimes you can kind of have access to a new friend group that can just like rock your world. Yeah. And I think, you know, less is more. I mean, a lot of the research shows that people are more what they're looking for is deeper friendships, not more friendships. So mm. even if you have a couple people in your life or you move to a new place and you meet someone cool, like one or two close friends in a new place is great. <laughs> That's a beautiful thing. Focus on building those relationships. Don't, you know, think that you need to meet, you know. 50 new people every weekend. That's not really the goal as much as developing a couple, you know, closer relationships with a few folks. Oh, that's a really beautiful sort of different perspective um, that we, we can do, we can do well with a few 
deep friendships and we don't need a huge group of friends. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things that I plan on doing, which is, which is kind of how I've always done it, um, is because I ski and climb, mostly climb now because of the season, uh, meeting people to climb with is actually pretty easy. And climbers are generally, unless they have like a big climbing ego, they're generally pretty open and you're spending time outside and you're kind of hiking and um, that community is, is a little bit more accepting. I mean, it's a little bit, it's, it's becoming way more mainstream, but it's always been kind of sort of a fringy type of activity. But so my plan is to just meet people through my outdoor activities. And that has always been a, a good way of meeting people. And so that's what I'm going to do is just like try to meet people by either climbing, skiing or biking and see, see what happens there. And so I guess the suggestion for other people is like, whatever your activity is or the thing that you're passionate about, go and do that in the new place. This seems kind of like basic advice, but go and do that in the new place and see if you can like connect with people that way. Yeah. If you already enjoy doing something perfect, you know, and I think also maybe, especially for someone that's, you know, struggling a little bit, you know, back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, go outside your comfort zone a little bit, do a few things you really enjoy doing and try one activity or one new thing that's a little bit scary, like improv was for you or, you know, going to a pottery class would be for me. Um, just kind of, ooh, that's a little bit on the borderline. I might, this feels a little bit weird. I'm going for it and then see what happens just to, just to see. Yeah, and also I guess if you're more introverted or uh, your activities are more online-based, um, then it'll be a little bit more challenging to meet people in real life. Um, and you have a chapter called Make Virtual Connections a Reality, and so I'm kind of curious, um, how, does that, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I'm definitely biased, you know, toward the power of IRL friendship, right? You know, the, 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 this book kind of start, stemmed from Camp Grounded. And what I believe is, you know, I believe that human connection really thrives when two people are together and, you know, making eye contact and have physical touch and can be in the same room together. I think that's just the science and the biology of who we are as people. And we live in a virtual world. And especially in this past year, I think we've seen that virtual connection can really be possible and can thrive. We just kind of need to design more for connection. So even if you're having, um, you know, Zoom calls and, you know, taking taking a moment, you know, at the beginning of a online activity to just have people check in, share something that's going on in their life, share a personal check-in, um, it's just going to add a level of kind of vulnerability, a, 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 a go a little bit deeper than kind of the screen. Um, and just kind of really thinking about connection, I think, is the biggest piece. Um, connecting early, connecting often, and gradually inviting deeper levels of vulnerability online. Um, you know, I, there are a lot of apps out there that are pretty good at fostering online connection. Um, everything from kind of, you know, video messages to um, apps that prompt you if you haven't reached out to a specific person in a while. So I think that there's a lot of potential there. And I know a lot of people that have met really interesting folks from joining groups online. There's a woman in my book who had, was suffering from Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome. And she was able to find really a cure for her disease from, from a couple support groups on Instagram and a couple Instagram accounts that she wouldn't have ever been able to find in real life because those people just weren't around her. And now she's able to live a much healthier life because of that support online. So she was just looking again for something that was important to her and reaching out to these people and connecting with them 
and it happened. So, you know, I think it takes a little bit more energy and intention, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, eventually um, you'll have to invite someone to do something in person if they live in your area. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one way to like make it a reality. I love this idea of meeting friends online. I have been like, um, I've been, <laughs> I guess I've been like an online connector for a long time. More recently, I have made friends via Instagram that I met on Instagram and we chat enough and then we'd actually meet up. And I've made some fantastic friends that way that uh, we still keep in touch. But if I'm thinking back to the late 90s, I used to be part of a ton of forums yep. for all sorts of different things. One of them being Volkswagens because I loved my 98 Volkswagen Jetta. And I became part of like um, Volkswagen groups in the Bay Area. And then also I was part of another group called Barf Bay Area Rider Forum for motorcycle riders. And we would organize like group rides and meet up. And like I made friends in those online communities that like, I mean, I remember being in Cartagena, Colombia, where my motorcycle broke down and someone that I had met in the past on a forum was able to like walk me through how to repair my motorcycle. And this person was like located in San Diego, California. Mm. And these are like these amazing connections that happened from meeting on a forum online, which is basically like a Facebook group, you know? And so it, it is possible to meet people online and to form like long lasting relationships um, if you're open to it and if they're open to it and if there's, there's a connection there that's like worth exploring. Yeah. And the research actually shows um, John Cassiopo, who wrote a book called Loneliness, who's kind of one of the leading scholars uh, in the field, um, basically that if social media or some of these tools are used as a way station where people find directions, right? You find what's happening and then you go offline and meet up in real life or build something together or call each other or connect and do something together that actually they do have a meaningful impact on people's health and, and well-being. But if they're just kind of the final destination, right? If you're just going to Instagram or going to search for motorcycles and you just keep searching for motorcycles and you just keep scrolling and you never get off or never talk to someone about motorcycles, then they're actually really unhealthy and, and really not good for you and can lead to a lot of the issues that we were talking about in terms of loneliness, anxiety, uh, lack of self-worth, depression, all these things. But if you're going and using them kind of as a way station to find direction, that's the key. So I, I you know, there are so many apps out there that have um, information and are of opportunities for connect, but I worry that people sometimes get trapped in the kind of scroll so even if, you know, for example, Clubhouse, a lot of people now are using Clubhouse, which is an audio, you know, audio only chat, um, chat rooms. Um, if you're just going and listening and kind of scrolling in between and just like on Clubhouse for hours, just listening, you might learn something, but it's not really contributing to your well-being, right? What's contributing to your well-being is if you have a conversation or, or hear something that somebody says, and then you reach out to them to connect and hopefully make a plan to meet up or create something together. Like that's where the magic is. Yeah. And also, I guess it's important to say that it, the end goal isn't necessarily to meet up, right? I mean, because you can make friends with people that live across the world. Right. But the, the point is going to be to like foster connection and maybe get off the app. Yes. Get off the app. Get off the app, which is like a dating thing also. Um, and start fostering that friendship and connecting in, in a different way than, you know, the, the original mode of connection. 
Right. And I hope that we'll see more technology that actually is designed to encourage and facilitate connection and people getting off the app, which I think dating apps, some are at least I know Hinge, you know, will kind of prompt people be like, hey, you you all have been messaging for two weeks. Did you why don't you just plan a date? Or like this? (laughs) Did you want to get together? Yeah. Like, do you actually want to date someone? Are you just trying to chat? You know, or this, this conversation will self destruct in 20 in two minutes, like send a text message now, (laughs) like, you know, um, just be like, hey, you know, get on with it here. Like, this is about meeting up. And this is about connection. This isn't about, you know, just being on the app. I think we've given the people what they need. <laughs> well, we've we started the conversation. Um, where can people find you and your book? Yeah, so you can uh, follow me on all the socials uh, at What's Up Smiley on Instagram. My website is smileypaswalski.com and the book is Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. You, it is available wherever books are sold. Yeah, there's like 25 different buttons where I could pre-order the book on your website. <laughs> you can get it on Amazon. If you don't like Amazon, you can get it on bookshop.org. You can get it at your local indie bookstore. You can get it wherever you like. Cool. And um, what does love mean to you, Adam? Ooh. To me, love is play. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> this is shortest answer in the Love Drive history. Oh, I thought you were going for a one-word answer. He said not a one-word answer. <laughs> oh, I love that. No, it's, there is no right or wrong answer. You should know this by now. Well, um, I love that. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I've fallen in love now because I found someone that I want to play with and that I love playing with. Um, snacks? Yes, snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And uh, I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Sean. It was great to be here. I'm excited to explore our friendship together. Likewise. (laughs) Hey, thank you for spending this hour with Adam and me this week talking about friendship. Also, I want to say that for the past like 10 or so episodes, I've had an editor edit those episodes and her name is Camilla Morandi. She's Italian. She's fantastic. And um, I'm just so proud of the work that she's doing. And it's been a massive, massive help to have her edit the episodes. So Camilla, thank you. Um, That's it. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Mm